Connection Churches podcast. Morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Yep, 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 yep. We can clap. This time to talk about Jesus, so that's a good thing. Hey, I'm glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you. So glad that you are here with us to worship today. I um, got to meet some of you coming in for the first time this morning. It was awesome to meet you guys and uh, just, just excited about what God's already done today, but what God's going to do uh, in the rest of our time here today. I went a little long in the first service. I promise I'm going to try not to do that this time, but I saw a pastor one time who uh, tweeted a, a, a thing out that said, uh, the reason the messages are so long is because the book's so good. Amen, amen, right? And so... Um, Anyway, but it's been good. We got to see people be baptized after nine o'clock service. That's always so incredible. And, and just praying that God really moves in, in your hearts today as he's moved in mine as I prepared this message. And so um, today we're actually going to be in Romans chapter eight. Uh, we're going to start in verse one and we're going to read verse one, jump over to verse 28 and then read through 39. And those, that'll be the text that we're going to talk about. We'll read it and we'll go back and hit it later. How many of you though today you got to enjoy some breakfast prepared by all the volunteers and the folks that helped out. Anybody just stick your hand up in there real quick if you got some breakfast. Uh, I want to thank them. I also want to thank this guy behind me right here who helped provide breakfast today. Um, yeah, that guy. Um, you had to be here a few weeks ago to completely get that and understand it, okay? But anyway, uh, we're glad you're here, glad you got to enjoy it. I want to say thank you to all the people that helped today that God's using to uh, to, to, to do all of this that's going on today as every week. So Romans chapter eight, uh, before we read it, I want to tell you real quick, just a synopsis of where we're coming to so you can understand what he's writing. Um, Romans, if you ever want to see the brilliance of Paul and the depth of work that Jesus uh, did and the spirit did in Paul's life, read the book of Romans. He lays it out um, as a, as a as perfectly as you could possibly lay out an explanation of the gospel. In the first three chapters, he shows us that not one or two, but all people um, have, have really turned their back on God. Their hearts have become hardened towards God and he had given them over to a depraved mind. And we come into uh, chapter three and we see that famous verse, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and Paul is including everybody, Jew and non-Jew, um, everybody in that uh, in with that verse. Um, but then he goes and he tells us that there's a new righteousness, a way to be right with God that's not by the law, which is about rules and, and trying to follow and do all the right things because it's impossible to please God that way, but that there's a way that comes by faith. And specifically as you go on into four and five, specifically faith in Jesus and a righteousness that's given to us simply by saying yes to the call of Jesus when he calls us into a relationship with him. Um, Chapter seven, how many of you ever read Romans chapter seven? You've read it, kind of like Paul turns into Dr. Seuss there for a moment, you know what I'm saying? He's kind of like, I don't do the things I wanna do, I do the things I don't wanna do, what I wanna do and what I will to do, I don't do and I do what, and you're kind of like, whoa, and and, and great-minded theologians have argued, is this pre-conversion, post-conversion Paul? What I would tell you is it's about the trouble of sin and the sin that we've all encountered and the sin that we all struggle with. And then you get over into the very end of chapter seven, one of my favorite sections of scripture, Paul, almost seeming desperate for relief, hollers out in Romans 7, 24, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Notice death to life. Um, and he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul comes to this point of desperation where he finally says, somebody's got to save me. Who's going to save me from me, right? From my sin. And he says, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that today as we celebrate baptism, I want you to keep that in mind that we're celebrating that Jesus rescued us from sin and from death. And he has literally taken those who have said yes to his call to a relationship with him from death in sin to being alive in Christ simply by putting our faith in him. And we're going to talk about that a lot today. So Romans chapter eight, verse one, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's read 1 and 28, and then we're going to read the others as we go through. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in what? Christ Jesus. Verse 28. And we know 
We know, that's a knowing by faith. We know that, that in our faith, by the Spirit testifying, this is me talking, that's not in the Bible. This is by faith in Christ, by the Spirit testifying in my spirit, by, by trusting in God's word and by seeing God's past faithfulness. We know what he's about to say. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's pray and we'll get going. Lord, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to open your word. Um, God, I simply play, pray right now that this would not be a good message. I pray that this message would be a powerful and effective message. God, let it not be with persuasive words, but let it come with a demonstration of the power of your spirit working in the hearts of your people. God, just be clear with the gospel and let us see the beauty of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Quick question. I want to kind of talk through this by asking several questions. Paul asked several questions in this text. And so I want to ask you several questions today. The first one is this. How many of you have something and guys, you're not too macho for this. How many of you have something that you're afraid of? Hold your hands up. Let's just see. Let's just be honest in church. Every, probably everybody in, here, everybody in here is afraid of something. And there's some things that, that, that naturally um, kind of cause us to be afraid. Some people are afraid of snakes like me. Some people are afraid of spiders unlike me. Some people are afraid of death. Some people are afraid of public speaking. We see all of these different fears and some of them make sense to us. We can understand them. We can agree with them. But how many of you know that many people, many of us, including Basically, all of us have some fear that is completely irrational, right? You're afraid of something that's completely irrational, right? Like, like when you go into the bathroom, if the shower curtain's closed, you have to look behind it, right? Because what if the boogeyman, he's, what if he's back there, right? And, and then how about this one? How many of you, and you've got to be honest, it's church, you cannot lie in church, right? How many of you look under the bed before you go to sleep at night? Just raise your hand. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. See, I, I've done that. He's, he's never been under there. Not one time has he been under there. I mean, you're afraid of dolls, right? Because dolls are kind of creepy. I saw that little, that little movie coming out, that Annabelle movie um, about, about the demonic doll. And, and it just doesn't scare me though, because I'm like, that is a doll. I will punt that doll. I'm not worried about that doll. Yeah, that doll looks at me under the door. I'll rip it under there, pull its head off and throw it. You know, I was raised by a different generation, right? My grandma would have made that dog go pick its own switch and then spanked it with it. That's just a different generation that we live in or that I was raised by. And so here's the thing I would tell you, like it's some rational fears. When I was little, probably two years old, my dad figured out that I was horrified of his army helmet when he was in the military, he had the helmet and he was, I was horrified. So they didn't want me to get in a cabinet. They just put the helmet in front of it. You know, at night he would just come in and no, he wouldn't do that to me, but that would be mean, like just sticking it in the bed with me. Ah! Right. And so, uh, but, but, but I was horrified of it, but completely irrational. I never, not one time got attacked by that army helmet. Probably the, the, the funniest one to me is my own mother who's not here and won't be home for a week. So maybe she'll forgive me before she gets back. But my own mother, she was afraid of marshmallows and fuzzy slippers. I, I don't understand that. Never got attacked by one of those either, but completely irrational fears. And I tell you that because in these verses that we read, for those of us, all of us who have fears, this is the reality. This is the greatest news that we could ever possibly hear. Because the Bible says that perfect love cast out fear. Well, where do we see perfect love? We see perfect love in Jesus who took away condemnation, judgment, and, and anything that, that would cause us fear. Here's what I don't want you to hear me say. I'm not telling you that your fears aren't real. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have them. What I'm telling you is that there is one who is greater than all the things that we could possibly fear. And that's Jesus. The Bible tells us that for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. We no longer have to feel fear condemnation. We no longer have to feel condemnation. Conviction, yes, but not condemnation. The Bible tells us that no matter what comes, God will take that experience and not waste an ounce of it if we yield it to him because he will use it for our good. And I want you to see today that all fear in light of Christ and what Jesus did on the cross for us, what Jesus did in his resurrection, uh, all fear becomes irrational. Now, I have fears. I have fears with my children. I have fears many times with the church. I have different fears. There are things that at times keep me up at night. I'm not telling you they're not real. What I'm telling you is that there is a place that we can go and there is a spirit, his spirit, who testifies in us that in all things we are more than conquerors. And that's what he is teaching us. And this is such a beautiful section of scripture. I want you to be able to grab a hold of it. So the first question I wanted to ask you is, do you have fears? Because this is such a great 
verse? Do you wonder about eternity? Do you fear death? Do you fear what might be coming? Listen, Jesus triumphed over the past, the present, and the future for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's just the way that he did this. He overcame them all. The second question that I want to ask you comes out of that same ver- those same two verses, that who does this apply to? Who does this apply to? And I want to go back to Romans 8.1 because I, I emphasized when we read that, that, that he says that there's no condemnation for those who are in what? Christ Jesus. Many times we take these verses out of context, we take them out of their meaning and we apply them to things that we really shouldn't apply them to. The Bible says in Romans 8.28 that we know all things work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So the things I want you to see in this as we answer this second question, who does this apply to? That it applies to those who've come to faith in Christ. Paul calls them the called. He says those who've been called according to his purposes. Well, what does it mean though when, to say that we're called? This call is an effectual calling. It's not like if I just, I just called your name and you said what? This is a call of God. It's not just the general call that people hear from God when the gospel is proclaimed. It is the call, an effectual call, meaning this, that it has effect in our life so that what happens is we hear the voice of God and we respond. It's that moment when we realize we need a savior and we do what's called repentance and we turn from sin and we turn to God. It's that moment that we turn from something to someone. See, to turn from something, sin, and turn to nothing just leads us back into sin. What we have to do is turn from sin to someone who leads us in a different direction. That's true repentance. And that's what happens when that effectual call comes. Faith and repentance happen together. We turn in faith from sin and we turn to new life in God, in Jesus. And our whole life, listen, repentance isn't something we do one time. It's a constant turning. Our whole life is turning ourselves back to Jesus, back to, it's a course correction that we constantly go to. Who does this apply to? It applies to those who've been called, who've who've said yes, not that there's a general call, but who've said yes to this call of God when he calls your name and you say yes, it's the saving grace of God that works in your life. See, I don't know about you, but I I know for me, the older I get, the more selective hearing I get. Does anybody get that? you you, You understand that, guys? You get selective hearing? Absolutely. And, and I get selective hearing. Like last night I was sitting on the couch and our discipleship pastor, Billy Shiver, was sitting next to me and Susan was in the kitchen and, and she, she, she yelled my name. She's Brandon, because that's, that's my name. And, and she yells my name and, and, and Billy goes, Susan's calling you. I know. He's like, well, you gonna answer? She wants me to do something. <laughs> I'm not here right now. You know what I mean? I say, you just ignore the call, right? She's calling me, but I'm not answering. And she's probably in here, so I'll be in trouble. But I'm just not, because I know it's like, take out the trash, do this, do that, paint the car. I don't know, but there's all kinds of, yeah. And so I just figured I won't answer. And maybe at least it'll buy me a few minutes more of the football game. And so we get selective hearing, but many times we become that way with God. And when he calls, see, there's many people in here today who you know God's called your name, but you've never really said yes. You know he's called your name. Maybe you've been around church and you've been around God. and you've heard him call your name, but you never said yes to follow him. See, Jesus didn't give us seven steps to be a better you. What he did when he called his disciples is he said, come follow me. He made it real simple. He said, if you'll walk where I walk and step as I step, then you'll become like me. And so we need to realize that God has called many people, but but many people in here, we've just ignored the voice. And for some of you, you, you're hearing this today. You're hearing the gospel. My question is, will you respond to the gospel? Do you hear God calling your name? What will you do? What will, how will you respond? The third question is, what does it mean to be called? What does it mean to be called? In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says, And we know all things work together to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So the first thing that means to be called is that we, we come into a place where we're given a new heart and we love God. See, see, loving God is not the first thing that we do. When we come into this earth, into this world, the thing that begins to happen is we begin to love ourselves, don't we? Nobody had to teach you to love you. We naturally love us and we naturally turn our back away from God because of the sin nature that's in us. But when God calls and we respond and we say yes to Jesus, God, according to the Bible and according to experience of many, gives us a new heart. 
He gives us a new heart that gives us a different direction. That repentance turns us, the faith turns us, and we begin to want different things. We begin to desire different things. Why? Because God changes us at the core of our being. And I want you to see this, I want you to understand this, and I love uh, to see new believers who come to this place of, of, of knowing who Jesus is, of hearing that call, saying yes, the Spirit coming in, giving them a new heart. I was riding with a guy the other day, and it's, it's a few days ago, and, 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 and when we were talking, he, he was a new Christian. He had just gotten saved, and, and uh, he was giving his life to the Lord. And it was so, so awesome to be able to talk with him and, and share with him. But during one point of the conversation, he said, I really wanted to do something for our church. And he said, we thought we might do something with the bullpit. Like the bullpit. I was like, do they have church at a rodeo? What, what, what are they talking about the bullpit? And then the more he talked, I realized he was talking about the pulpit. I'm trying to put it together. I'm like, bullpit, bullpen, pulpit, 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 pulpit. Okay, I got it now. And, and, and it was so awesome though, because here's this guy who all he really knows is I love Jesus. Jesus has done something in me. He told me that this is different than what I had thought it was when I was a child. He said, God's done something. He said, I noticed even the way I talk was a, one of the first things that changed. And I said, you know why the way you talk was one of the first things that changed? So because God gave you a new heart and the Bible is very clear that it's from the overflow of our heart that the mouth speaks. And see, that's what begins to happen as we begin to change. God changes us from the inside out. The problem for most people today in church is that we try to change from the outside in. We're using a power that is of ourselves that cannot change us. It's the only power in the universe that can change someone at their core. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes into us when we begin to live for Jesus. We simply say yes to his invitation. That's what God begins. He changes our hearts so we begin to move in a different way. You might not have all the terminology down. If you, you give your life to Christ and you say yes to his invitation today, you're not going to walk out of here with a PhD in theology, but this is what you do walk out with. You walk out with a heart that desires new and different things than what you did when you walked in here. That's what God does. The second one is that you're called according to his purposes. See, no one's ever been called by God that wasn't also called to God's mission. And, and my, my fear is that too many people are walking around today with some false sense of security when there's no, because there's no evidence of any type of heart change in their life. There's no evidence that, that, that God's done anything. We're not on mission for, for God. We're not on mission to do the purposes of God. We're not really seeking after the life of God. And because our heart's never really been changed. We've never truly said yes to God. And in the South, we are very religious. But I would define religion as rules without relationship. My question to you today is, have you come into this place where you are in a relationship with Jesus, that you know him, that you walk with him, that you followed him, that you turned from your own li old life and you turned to Christ? Have you come to that place? Has your life changed? You remember when Jesus was in the temple, he was 12 years old and, and his parents finally find him after searching for him for so long and, and they find him in the temple and they, they kind of get on to him like, Jesus, why would you do this to us? He said, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? Well, see, when you become a child of God, a daughter of God, then you become about your father's business. The things that you desire the most begin to change. Your life begins to go a different direction. We truly become about the purposes of God. Why? Because he has called us. He's changed our hearts and then he puts us on a different mission. It's no longer to satisfy ourselves. It's to satisfy his kingdom, to grow his kingdom, to minister to the people he's called us to minister to. Doesn't mean any of us are perfect at this, but it does mean that we begin a different direction. The fifth question, the fourth question, what our fourth question, what is the good that he works? So three, what does it mean to be called for? What is the good that he works? If you read this in verse 28, then what you see is he's been called according to his purpose. If you get into verse 29, he says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What is God wanting us to do? He's wanting us to become like his son. So when he calls us and we're, we're, we fall in love with God and we begin to go after the purposes of God, then what begins to happen is that he begins to work in us to do 
through us what he intended from the beginning so that we begin to be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. That is his purpose. His purpose has not changed in all of these years from the time of creation to, to, to today. His purpose is that we would be shaped and molded into the image of Christ so that we can fill the earth with the glory of God. And I want you to understand that this good work, we so many times get this wrong because we think that it means that God's going to work everything to the good. In other words, what we want, what he's telling us is that everything he's doing, everything that's going to happen, if we won't waste it, but we'll yield it to him, then he will take even those bad times and use them to make us more like Christ. That's his ultimate goal in our lives because that's what's best for us. That's for our good and for his glory. That's what he wants to do in us. And see, here's the thing. Many people in here are going through situations that aren't good. You're walking through pain. I'm not telling you that God caused that pain, but in his sovereignty, he had to allow it. Listen, I've been through pain. I've seen painful times. My, my, the stuff with my dad, many of you have heard me talk about that. It's been very painful watching my dad go through what he goes through. I've had times of yelling at God. I don't understand it, but the longer I walk with Jesus and the, the more I grow in his likeness, I become more comfortable with just saying, I don't know. But this is what I do know. If I will trust God with that circumstance, if I will trust God, even with my pain, then he will use that pain for my good and for his glory. Y'all with me? I'll leave y'all way back there. Because here's the thing I'm telling you guys. God has a plan and a purpose. And if you're going through stuff, it doesn't mean that God's love has left you. It means that you're probably experiencing a little bit of what Jesus and other believers have experienced before. And, and, and as we're going to read, nothing can separate us from that love of God. So what's a good work? It, it's the good work is making us become like Christ. The fifth question, what is his good purpose? The purpose is to fill the earth with his glory. See, you and I, if we've been called, if we've said yes to Jesus, our purpose is to, to come into a place where God uses us to fill the earth with his glory. In other words, people could look at us and see some resemblance of God. See, too many people are walking around totally neglecting the, the purpose of God and, and you're wondering about our own lives and yet all the time, you know, hanging a, a fish sticker on our car and feeling like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. The reality of it is, guys, listen, when we come to Christ, everything changes. No one has ever met Jesus that didn't change. No one's ever met Jesus that didn't become about his purposes. No one's ever met Jesus and, and, and not, not had to, to deny their old life and follow after him. Have you had that experience? Have you given that to him. I want you to do that. I mean, there's times I question my own salvation. I want us to be like in Hebrews 13, where, where Paul tells us to examine ourselves, to make sure we're in the faith. I don't want to stand before God one day and him go, why didn't you just tell them to look into their heart and see what's really there? Today, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I, I'm, I'm asking you, would you look in your heart and see if it's there? See if the spirit is testifying that, that you belong to God. See if you've really given your life to him so that one day I'm not standing there going God I really thought I tried to tell him and one day you're not standing there going what I went to church and God goes hey, but I didn't know you I didn't have a relationship with you do you know him and do you have this relationship with God that he so desperately wants to have have you said yes that's his good purpose is to transform you into the image of Christ so that we can fill the earth with his glory. How does this happen? If you look at Romans chapter three, verse 23, Paul's clear that all is sin and falling short of the glory of God, meaning we don't have the glory of God to be able to display it. But God, um, through his brilliance and through his sovereignty and through a plan that was formed way before you and way before the foundations of the earth were laid, God made a way for you to come to him. And that's what I want us to look at next. In verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. He, those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The first word he uses there is he says, those God foreknew. What does that mean? Foreknew. It's not just speaking about God's omniscience where he's all knowing, right? It's not just speaking about um, his omnipresence where he's everywhere. 
This word goes even deeper than that. It means not only those that God foreknew, that he foresaw, it also means those that God really, he he loves, that God cares for, that God adores, that God wants, that he desires. And see, that's what God would have you here today is that God here, here today is God desires you. He wants this relationship with you. He's calling you. And see, people, if we're in Christ, the great thing that we can rejoice in is that God knows us. It's an intimate knowing. It's not like I just know the guy down the street that runs the gas station. It's a a quality relationship. It's an intimate relationship. He goes on and he says that those who are, uh, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, basically what he's telling us in this is that, 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 It's his work in us that is going to create us in the image of Jesus. It's Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in us will see it to completion. The great thing about this is is that we realize that if we just surrender to him, we just follow him, he does the work in us. That's why the Bible says work out your salvation. It doesn't say work in your salvation. So that God is telling us, I will do the work. You just abide in my presence. You abide in me. We can get to this word of predestined and we can totally lose track of everything else going on in this scripture. This is what I would tell you about predestination today. You can't read the Bible without seeing predestination taught. You also can't read the Bible without seeing free will taught. This is what I would tell you. Those mesh in a way that the greatest minds in history could not resolve. I don't think we're going to do it today, right? But the question is, do you hear his voice? I will tell you this. Jesus never turns away anyone who calls on his name to be saved from a heart that is earnest and realizes that I have sinned, that I'm guilty before God. I need a savior. I need forgiveness and I need to come to life in him and I'm ready to repent and go after him. He's never turned anyone away who would call on his name. The third thing he says is that those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brothers. In other words, we, through the birth of the Holy Spirit, the new birth that comes through faith in Christ, will become like Jesus. And he says those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. This next thing he does is he calls us. How many of you have ever been lost, like in the woods? Not lost in Atlanta, downtown Atlanta, right? but lost in the woods, right? You've been lost. Yeah, I have a terrible sense of direction. I enjoy hunting. You've heard me say this before. I get lost all the time. Many times it was after dark. There was no greater sound than the, the voice of my dad when he would say, he would call my name, again, my name's Brandon. He would call my name, right? And, and he would call my name and I would know where to go. I'd literally be walking in darkness, every tree looking the same and, and not knowing where to go. And I would hear him, woo! Dang, that scared me. But, but you hear that. If woke some of y'all up, y'all need to wake y'all's rear ends up. And, and the thing, if you're a redneck, you know what that means. That means come from over yonder and come over here, right? And so you do that. I'm glad I got y'all's attention. I know how to do that now. And so here's the thing. I would love every time when he would, I would hear his voice. And today, man, you need to realize that if you haven't said yes to Christ or maybe you've wandered, our hearts are prone to wander, maybe today is the day you hear his voice and you come out of darkness. Maybe today is the day that you hear your father who loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you and you hear his voice and you say yes and you come out of darkness into light, you come out of death into life and you find a new way of living. Maybe today is that day for you. It goes on and says that those he calls, he justifies. Listen, put very simply, that's when you say yes and you repent and faith comes and you say yes to Jesus and, 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 and instantly you're made right with God. Jesus gives you the righteousness that he had because we don't have it on our own. So he justifies us. It's the way that God forgives us of our sins without becoming unjust himself because he has to punish evil. But he does it in a way that he put our sin on his son, punished him so that we could be forgiven. 
There's a word in, it's not in here, but it's another big word, but it's sanctification. But you see this working all throughout this text of God taking us from glory to glory, from, 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 from marred by sin back into the image of God. And I want you to see that that's what happens from the moment we're justified, we're given the righteousness of Christ. God begins to grow us into the image of Christ. He begins to grow us into the identity he's already given us in righteousness. And so he continues to grow us in that. He continues continues to call us deeper, deeper, deeper into this relationship, this transforming relationship. And the last one that Paul says is that those he justified, he also glorified. He also glorified. Glorification is that final culmination of all that God's done when we're we're actually, uh, Jesus comes and that glorious day when he comes and the dead in Christ rise. And then he comes and he establishes the new earth, and, and, and he gives us glorified bodies. Can somebody say amen to a glorified body? Amen. And, and then, and then, and then we're, we're forever made in the image of Christ, doing what God had planned from ages past, filling the earth with his glory. And so this glorification is a, a higher degree of glory than sanctification, but it only happens when Jesus establishes the new earth and we become like him. And I want you to see those because those are very important. If you're in Christ, then you've been justified. You're in the process of sanctification and your great hope is knowing that one day I'm gonna be with him, I'm gonna be like him and and there's nothing that can keep that from happening. And so that's our great hope. See, the church has lost the theology of heaven and hell. See, we don't know what to be afraid of and what to to long for. But God's called us to this great uh, banquet, right? This great feast. Uh, it's great wedding and we're going to be with God forever. And if that's not our hope, if that's not our joy, if that's not what we cling to and what we look forward to, not just when things are bad, but all the time realizing that what God has planned, we cannot fathom. What God has planned is greater than the greatest joy we could possibly experience on this earth. And that we need to, we should long for that if we've been, been in, in, in filled with the Holy Spirit. There should be something in us, that taste that that says, I want that if we're in Christ. It talks about this banquet. I'm just hoping, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope there's French fries on the buffet. That's all I'm saying. A lot of salt, steak fries. You know, I love French fries. And here would be the topper. I don't want to push too much. I don't want to ask too much. But if you could still have abs and eat French fries, that would be be really awesome in the glorified body. That'd be cool. I don't want to ask too much. For now, I'll just take the French fries, take with the abs. So anyway, that's where where it's at. The the last thing I want to do is I want to go through some questions that Paul asked because it's, it's... it's easy for us to ask this particular question. How do I know this is going to happen? How do I know God's going to do what he says he'll do? How do I know this? And Paul addresses this by asking some questions himself. And I want to run through these real quick. Uh, The first one is in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to this? My question would be, what can we say in response to all that Jesus has done for us? What can we say? in response to all this. But he says, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I touched on these a little bit a few weeks ago, but I want you to understand if Paul were to just say who is against us, there could be hundreds of of answers. One could be people. Um, Each one of us probably has somebody that does not like us. I mean, I don't think, I hope none of us think so highly of ourselves that we think everybody loves us. I thought when I got into ministry, everybody, no, it doesn't happen that way. And so we have enemies. There are people who, who just don't like us. Um, you, you can think about sin, another enemy that, that, that seeks to tear us down. It's an enemy that we all have. You can think about death that was brought on by sin. And you can see that that, that, that is an enemy that we have. You can think about Satan and, and the, the, the principalities and powers of the dark this dark age that come against us as an enemy to what God um, would do in our lives and and that the the relationship that he would want us to have and you can see that there are a lot of enemies so Paul Paul didn't phrase the question that way Paul asked the question if God is for us who can be against us because see here's what Jesus did on the cross all of those enemies that I, I, I just mentioned and all of the enemies you could think of Jesus overcame on the cross he put them under his feet he put them under our feet and here's the reality of it People's, people's thoughts and, 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 and their identity that they try to put on you, you have an identity if you're in Christ that is Christ. 
See, you, you don't have to fear sin anymore because here's why Jesus overcame sin. The proof of that is that Jesus overcame death, another enemy, and he conquered Satan. Um, the other day I was out, out in the yard and a snake, it was about, I don't know, he's about, I don't know, six, eight, 12 feet. I don't know how, how big he was, but he was a big, he was a little snake actually, can't lie in church. And so he was little and I was sitting there and I hate snakes, but I had on some big boots and this little bitty snake was right there. And so I just walked over and I went, Still don't. Hey, hey, there we are. Woo. I can yell into this one. All right. Let me get rid of that thing. That's aggravating. All right. And so here's the good news. Satan has no hold on us. There's nothing. Good gosh almighty. Get behind me, Satan. And then, but seriously, this is the thing. Driving up here this morning, I started, I can beep. Oh, yeah. And so um, driving up here this morning, I don't even need lights. Y'all go to sleep anyway. And so driving up here this morning, I was thinking about how great of a day this was going to be. And part of me was like, oh, my goodness, Satan's coming, you know, because he always shows up at those moments. And the thing I realized, though, is I don't have to fear him. He can't do anything to me that God doesn't want. And the reality of it is, if he does do something that, 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 that God desires to work in my life, he's going to use it for good. I don't have to fear him. I have overcome him. There's nothing he can do to me. Verse 32, he, he did not spare his own son, but gave gave him up for us all. If, if God is for us, he can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You'll see this in the Bible a lot where the writer will take a greater to lesser argument. And basically what he's teaching us in this is that if God gave his best to you, why would he withhold anything else? See, if you wonder, will God really do what he says? Look at the cross because there were thousands of years of prophecy. There, there were thousands of years of people People saying that Jesus would come. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He came and did exactly what God said he would do. And when we look at the cross, we see the goodness of God and we see the, 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 the faithfulness of God because he, he did everything he said. And he shows us that if I will give my best for you, why wouldn't I give you everything else? If I started the process, why wouldn't I finish it? And that's what he wants us to understand as Paul asks us this question. He goes on in verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has, sorry, I can't read. Who will bring any charge against us, against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And quick, basically, this is like being in a law, a, a, a courtroom. And Paul's saying, listen, if the judge and the one who has the right to judge has said you're innocent, and taking away your offense, then nobody else can charge you. It doesn't work. So he's saying if God is the one who forgave, nobody else can bring it back up. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, the great news about being in Christ is our sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. The great news about being in Christ is there is no condemnation. It doesn't become a crutch to sin. It becomes the power of God to launch us into a better life. And here's the thing I would tell you, that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. The problem with it is so many times we try to apply that to, to things that it, it doesn't apply to. The thing I would tell you is if you're in Christ, you have no condemnation. You don't have to feel condemnation. You will feel conviction, but no condemnation. If you're not in Christ, condemnation still stands because no one has taken off the sin that will be judged. 
And so we have to realize this. It's a lot easier and a lot more politically correct to just say love wins. But love wins when we say yes to Jesus, the greatest love that there's ever been. 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither, listen to this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, so the, the, the powers of the cosmos can't separate us, present nor future, time can't separate us, nor any powers, just in case there was another power he didn't mention, neither height nor depth, so, so space can't separate us, nor anything else in all creation. So he just throws anything else in all creation just in case somebody's going to come back and say something else. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, who shall separate us? Nobody. Nobody can separate us from the love of God when we're in Christ. We are in our Father's hand and no one can take us out. It's the security of knowing that God has us, even when we face trials and tribulations, that we can face them in light of Christ and in light of what God's done. I want you to hear real quick, and then we're going to be done. I want you to hear real quick a testimony from somebody in our church who has seen this firsthand in their life. So y'all check out this video if it works. wasn't real easy because a lot of the folks here in the United States, even in, in, in the county that I lived in, they did not appreciate us at all. Uh, there was times that people, they, you know, they wouldn't, wouldn't even talk to you, wouldn't give you the time of day. All they would tell you is that you're uh, children killers. I took a, uh, a drink when I was nine years old and uh, it was kind of funny, me and my brother, my daddy drank, so he kept stuff in the bottom of the cabinet and we'd get the vodka out and we took that one drink and we would take and fill the liquor bottle back up with water so daddy wouldn't know that it was anything gone out of it. If I'd have known that that one drink would have caused me the problems it caused later on in life, I'd have never took it. Out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps and. Uh, trained and went to Vietnam and there was times over there that uh, there'd be bullets flying by my head and I would hear somebody holler that they were wounded and I kept, I'd always think, you know, I was lucky. But later on in years, I realized that God had a plan into me coming home. Matter of fact, one of my commanding officers asked me toward the end of my tour that, uh, would I re-up and I told him, I said, sir, thank you, but I've got all the holes that the good Lord give me and I don't need any more. You know, my drinking problem was a lot to do with my first divorce. And I was out on the town one night and, and got into a fight and almost killed somebody. And they sentenced me to five years. Well, I spent two and a half years behind bars. And my wife now uh, started sending me literature and letters, you know, on about God and all from their church. And I began to kind of read some of that and, and, and kind of got better. But then when I got out of prison, uh, me and her started seeing each other. We started going to church and it wasn't long, we got married. But that old devil, I call him, was sitting on one shoulder saying, well, why don't you go back to drinking? You can handle it. Well, I realized after I started drinking again that I couldn't handle it. So I made up my mind. I said, well, if I've got to go anywhere, I want to go to Willingway. I walked in on that Friday afternoon. They shut the door. And when they shut that door, I says, Paul Lakins will never touch another drop of alcohol as long as he lives. Well, at one o'clock in the morning there, I was sitting in the chair, couldn't go to sleep. I said, I've got, maybe I can find something to read and that may put me to sleep. Well, I opened a drawer and there was a Bible in that drawer. When I opened it up, the first thing my eyes hit 
chapter 3 3 in John, where it says, God says, you know, you have to be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And I, when I read that verse, I got down on my knees and I prayed to God to ask Him to forgive me for all the things that I'd done and to help me get through what I was going through. And it seemed like within a second, the load that I was under was gone. It made me realize that I could not do it myself. It made me realize that I had to, to depend on God for everything. I celebrated 18 years of sobriety, if that's what you want to say. This past July, we celebrated 31 years of marriage. And we make a comment every now and then saying, well, you think it would have lasted this long? And I said, well, God's had a hand in it the whole time. And uh, the way I do today, I take it one day at a time, and by the grace of God, go out. See, yeah, it's good. The cool thing about that is that in some of the darkest places on the face of the planet, Mr. Paul experienced, even in Vietnam, where he started out, I don't know if you heard that at the very beginning, but where he started out with his story, uh, he, he recognized the hand of God on him, bringing him to a point, a point of decision, a point of, of being rescued from his sin, a point of coming into a relationship with God um, through Jesus. And, and it's amazing to me to see how God works through everything, that even in a place where uh, most of us would think of as an, a place that probably wouldn't be considered the light of the world, God's arm is not too short to reach down and to save him. That God called him and he said yes, um, even in some of the darkest times of his life and in the darkest time of his life. And I want you to understand that. I want you to see that because this is what I know. Um, we've been renovating a house that we're going to move into and we finally bought a place and, and uh, it's about to kill me, right? I, I hit myself in the head with a big uh, wrecking bar the other day. I think I might have a stress fracture in my right leg. Uh, I'm realizing how soft I am and I used to do this stuff all the time. And, and I tell you that because I realize, man, I feel beat up. And many of us here today feel that same way. We just feel beat up, beat down. We feel um, exhausted. And yet Jesus tells us if we'll come to it, that he'll give us rest. So we can rest from our, our striving to attain things that only Jesus can give us, like righteousness and perfection, identity, all of those things. And we want to give you that opportunity because the promises of God or yes and amen in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in
you if you just remain standing. Let's celebrate that. Listen, there's going to be some people, some prayer folks that want to just pray with you. Listen, here's the thing we truly believe, that this is not the end of a journey. This is not the destination. But we, man, we, this year to start a new life is to hope you take the next step. We're not sending you out of here like a sheep among wolves. We're going to walk with you through the rest of your life, taking your next step. And I'm so proud, so thankful for the courage of that story. One more time, listen, if you, if you would say yes today, you say yes today. Listen, I would also ask you today, though, there's some here, there's your next step, their next step is salvation. Everybody in here has some next step. Ask God what it is and then do it. Last thing I'm going to ask you, though, today you would say your next step is baptism. I want you to understand what baptism is. Baptism is our identification with Jesus. It's our public profession of faith. It's saying I trust him as Lord. It's saying I, I, I trust him as my Savior. I surrender to him as Lord. And it's saying, basically, I belong to him. When you go under the water, you celebrate his burial. When you come out, you celebrate his resurrection and the fact that he's taking you from death to life, just as the church says. The water doesn't save you. It's your faith in Jesus that saves you. We believe that as you come and you, you get baptized, you get baptized as a believer. In fact, I would tell you three questions that you can ask to know, should I be baptized? One is, have I confessed Jesus as my Savior? Two, have I um, surrendered to him as Lord? And three, have I been baptized as a believer? And if your answers are yes, yes, no, then the great thing about the Bible is it makes it very clear that your next step is baptism. Period. Jesus tells us that. Not so that we can be saved, but so we can identify ourselves with Jesus and his church, the people. And so today I'm going to ask again, um, for those of you who, who, who are going to be baptized, some of you may not have realized you were going to be baptized. We've got clothes, and your answer is yes, yes, no believe in Jesus as my Savior, I've trusted Him, I've surrendered as Lord, and I haven't been baptized as a believer, today you would say, I want to be baptized. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat, we're going to celebrate your public profession of faith in Christ. So here we go, one, two, three. If you're going to be baptized today, I want you to get out of your seats and come to the front. You just begin to move, and we're going to begin to celebrate, amen. Great day, great day. So we went a little over, but I think it was worth it. So uh, right now, why don't we pray, and then we're going to let these awesome folks go out with Miss Caitlin over here. If you need prayer today, when we dismiss, you can go over here to our prayer hall where um, Mr. Chip is. And we'd love to be able to get some folks to pray with you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for loving us and for your grace, that you do make us righteous through faith in Christ. Thank you that we can celebrate going from death to life today with four new believers and God, these who professing are professing their public faith in you. God, we love you and thank you for loving us and for the, the price you were willing to pay to purchase us.